So if you were here last Sunday, we opened up the Summer in the Psalm series. Pastor Eric preached Psalm 28. You heard a couple verses read this morning in our scriptural call to worship. Uh, that psalm was by David, and he was crying out to the Lord, asking to be heard. And he continued on in that psalm, praying that the wicked would have what is due to come to them, that they would have the justice of God brought upon them. He asks that he not only be heard, but he later says, God has heard my cry, and he exults or celebrates. And he goes on to, to sing and worship with thanksgiving. And as that psalm is ending, he says to the Lord, to shepherd your people, carry them and shepherd them forever. And so today we continue on in the Summer in the Psalm series. Psalm 29, this is a, a very different psalm, but also by David. And the focus of this psalm today is going to be on the greatness of God. We'll see many attributes emphasized today, specifically his holiness and his power and his sovereignty. But we see so many other ways that he's described in this psalm as well. And I'd like to um, just mention a few observations. There's a few words or phrases that are mentioned several times throughout this psalm. Let me go ahead and just mention those to you. Maybe you picked up on a few of them as Megan read through the passage. The word ascribe is used three times in these 11 verses. Glory is mentioned four times in these verses. The voice of the Lord seven times. And in 11 verses, Yahweh or the Lord is mentioned eight times. 18 times. 18 times in 11 verses. This is a psalm about God. And I've found it helpful in sermons if I have a little bit of an idea of where we're headed before we go there. And so I'd like to, to say it this way. I'm going to give you an outline here in just a minute. That's where we're going. And then we'll preach the sermon. I'll, I'll preach the word. And, and that's the journey through the passage today. And then at the end, we'll take a moment to kind of look back at where we've been. So where we're going, then we'll go there, and then we'll take a moment to look back at where we've been. Highlighting a few of the important uh, things to consider as we leave at the end of the service today. But also, I want to go ahead and let you know, I hope this excites you a little bit. I I've been probably most looking forward to the end of this psalm, not that it will be over, but that we're going to respond today in song. We're going to worship together in response to what we've heard about the character of God today. We are going to get to worship through song. That's not the only way that we worship. I'm going to challenge each of us to think of a way that we can take what might seem like a mundane task in the week ahead and turn it into an act of worship. We'll talk about that later. But I do want you to think about, in light of what we're going to hear today, we're going to get to lift up our voices in song together. So the title of this sermon is not super creative, but based off those words that are mentioned so many times, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name and worship him. And there was a helpful commentator that I was reading through over this last month. I'd like to give just a quick paragraph uh, about what he has to say about Psalm 29. The towering majesty of the Lord dominates the poem with the opening scene in heaven where supernatural beings pay him homage. With the violent sweep of the thunderstorm in from the sea, down the whole length of Canaan and away into the desert, 
and the serene climax in which as the thunder recedes, the Lord appears enthroned in judgment over his world, but in blessing among his people. So I'd like to share with you the outline. If you're a note taker, this might be helpful to put these about a third of your page apart. Verses 1 through 2, the Lord is holy. Worship him. Second heading, verses 3 through 9, this is going to be where we hear the seven voices of the Lord. And we're going to see the response where everyone in the temple cries glory. I've given this the heading, the Lord is powerful. Worship him. And last but not least, verses 10 through 11, the third heading, you can jot down, the Lord is sovereign. Worship him. And I do want to give just a quick paraphrase. I know that Megan just read Psalm 29, but just walking through that outline briefly, we're going to start off with a call to ascribe glory and strength and honor to the Lord, which is due his name. Heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship him in the splendor of holiness. So that we could say is, is the call. And then we see in verses 3 through 9, we have a reason for the call and a response to the call. So in 3 through 9, we have the voice of the Lord, and we see this, this thunderstorm sweeping in across the Mediterranean Sea, and we hear about Lebanon skipping like a calf and the forests being stripped bare. His power is put on display. And so that's a reason, not the reason, but a reason for the call to ascribe glory to the one that it is due. And then I would say part uh, partly the climactic part of this entire psalm is, is in verse 9 there at the end. And it says, and everyone in the temple cries, glory. And that's the response to the call. And then we'll close in verses 10 and 11, thinking about Jesus at the right hand of the Father, who's sitting on the judgment throne, who always has and always will forever. And then a request of David to bless your people with strength and to bless your people with peace. And I'd like to, to give a quick introduction. Um, I just want to give you a heads up. This sermon is going to be filled with scripture today because I think the way that we rightly worship is informed by God's word. And so I'm going to start with scripture. We're going to preach through Psalm 29 and we're going to end in scripture before we sing. So uh, instead of a, a creative story or a real famous story to, to segue into Psalm 29, I want to just read from Psalm 115 verses 1 through 8, and the reason that I've chose this is to do somewhat of a compare and contrast as we begin. And by that I mean, if the Lord's power and holiness and his sovereignty is put on display in Psalm 29, I want you to think about the, the little g gods around the world that people right now are worshiping. The little g gods, and I, I want you to hopefully see the difference between Psalm 29 and what we're going to read in Psalm 115. This will be on the screen. Let me, let me read this to you. Starting in verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. 
Again, remember in verses 3 through 9 in Psalm 29, seven times the voice of the Lord, his power is put on display. Just one attribute of God. The voice of the Lord thunders. It makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, strips the forest bare, and so many other things that we'll see in just a moment. And look at these little G-gods that people are worshiping all around the world. It would be like us going to Lowe's after the service and buying some wood and going back to the garage and, and, and shaping some idol that we then begin to worship. And listen, mouths but do not speak. And then they're in the end and they do not make a sound in their throat. Compare that to our God who is mighty and holy and sovereign and powerful. And just his voice is described as a thunderstorm rolling in. We get to see what it does. His power is put on display. I mentioned that also because towards the end of this sermon, we're going to talk about not only a need for us to ascribe glory to God, but to declare that glory to others. And that leads us into our, our first section. As I mentioned, the title is The Lord is Holy, Worship Him, verses 1 and 2. Let's reread through those together. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Here's where we're going to spend a majority of our time. We're going to be talking about what a scribe means and what it doesn't, as well as, although this might seem elementary to many, we're going to talk about worship and how it's more than just singing. It definitely is singing, but it's much more than that. So as we try to describe, describe what a scribe means, let, let me begin with what it's not. And I think that hopefully is helpful. A couple other English translations render it uh, honor or give glory to God. And that could be a little bit misleading if we think about giving God glory in this manner. There is no such thing as this, but if there were a glory-ometer or a meter that registered the amount of glory that God has, again, this is not a thing, but if it were, it would be as if we thought, okay, before I ascribe glory to God, he's at about 97% glorious. And after this song or this living sacrifice or this, this worship that I'm about to embark upon, ascribing glory to his name, after that's completed, I look back at the gloriometer and there's 97.5% glorious now God is. No, no, that's not what it's like. And I know that might seem silly, but we should remember that it's not that we're giving God more of something that he doesn't have. He is all glorious he is perfect in power. His love is perfect. His sovereign rule and reign is without any imperfection. He is all glorious. So if that's not what a scribe means, I would say what it would mean is more of an acknowledgement or a recognition of or an honoring of something that we already know to be true affirming the character and nature of God that we see in his word and ascribing that glory to him, affirming, acknowledging, recognizing that glory. And when it says that it's due his name, it's because he's all glorious. In verse 3, we see in just a moment in the second section, it says he is the God of glory. The God of glory thunders. And so if he's an all-glorious God, perfect in glory, that's how we describe him, then it only makes sense as his people, as his followers, that we recognize and affirm and acknowledge that glory that he possesses. I hope that that makes sense, and I wanted to work through that a little bit quicker so that we can camp out for just a moment on this idea of worship. I think ascribing glory to him and worshiping him go hand in hand. 
And just so that you're aware, we're going to spend the most time on one topic right here on this idea of worship. I want to be honest and confess that for many years in my life as a believer, whenever I heard the word worship or worship service, I instantly thought of singing. And for those who lead in worship, volunteers, Matt as our worship pastor, it is definitely that. I am not trying to take anything away from it, but it is much more than that. And if we simply think about worshiping God through song, we're missing out on the daily rhythms of our life that can be acts of worship before a holy God. I think it's, it's helpful to mention to you a, a Christian artist that uh, I enjoy listening to. His name's Jimmy Needham. There's a song called Clear the Stage. And in the chorus, it says this. You can sing all you want to and still get it wrong. Worship is more than a song. Now, keep in mind, this is a guy who this, he does this for a living. Right? He is saying this. Nothing wrong with worshiping before the Lord, but if our hearts and our minds aren't rightly informed and valuing the right things, we can be off in our worship. And Jesus affirms this. Listen to this from Matthew 15, 8 through 9. This people honors me with their lips. You likely know what comes next, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Worship is indeed more than a song. And so if it is more than a song, what else does that include? It includes so much more. At Pastoral Development uh, this week, which is a meeting that the pastors and interns have to reflect upon and talk about the last sermon that was preached and compare notes and talk through the sermons that are going to be preached in the upcoming Sunday, I had so much helpful feedback from the guys. I asked Pastor Nick Rogers if I could quote him here. He had a very helpful idea to emphasize this point. It's not mind-blowing, but it's helpful to remember. About worship, Pastor Nick Rogers says this, worship can be a whole life response to God. Worship can be a whole life response to God. As I was preparing my notes, I knew at some point I was going to have to mention Romans 12, verse 1. I just didn't know where, and, and here's where it lands. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our lives can be acts of worship in so many of the things that we do throughout the week, aside from singing. And I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, write this down. <clears throat> what is worship? By John Piper. I probably quoted him about seven times originally in my notes, and I had to dwindle that down because that's basically sharing the whole article. It will be a well worth uh, eight and a half minutes of your time this next week. You can just Google John Piper, what is worship? I want to share a few highlights that help drive this point home. He unpacks some helpful information, things that we can think on, and verses that help relate to this, and then we're going to talk about some application. So listen to what he has to say about worship. True worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. All true worship is in essence a matter of the heart. It is more, but it is not less. I'll read that last part again. All true worship is in essence a matter of the heart. It is more, but it is not less. And that goes very well with the verse that we read from Matthew just a moment ago. Notice again, no mention of singing in that explanation. The heart and the mind cannot be separated from right worship. 
He goes on to mention the importance of John 4, 24 in this conversation. Listen to this. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We must worship in spirit and in truth. We know that as believers we're indwelled with the spirit, but it says that we should worship him with spirit and in truth. And there's a quote I'm going to put on the screen before we get into the application here. This drives this home, I hope, clearly for you. The inner essence of worship is the response of the heart to the knowledge of the mind when the mind is rightly understanding God and the heart is rightly valuing God. So the question is, how do we have rightly informed minds? Right here. We hear the voice of the Lord in this next section seven times talking about that perfect, complete, full power that he possesses. We hear from the Lord through his word. This is how our minds are rightly informed. And through the work of the Spirit, our hearts begin to value the, the, the right things and helps lead to right worship. So what's some application? I, I, what I'm about to say is not to brag on us here at CCF, but Pastor Matt and I were able to get together a few weeks back and much of our conversation revolved around this idea. I want to share some application for us as a church body and also for us as individuals. When you walk through the doors and sit down in a worship service on Sunday mornings here at CCF, after announcements, let's walk through what our services typically look like. We have a scriptural call to worship. We just recounted what we heard last week in Psalm 28. And then we have pastoral prayer. And at the beginning of that, there's scripture reading. And then we have a brother or a sister in Christ come up and read the text that's going to be preached. And then a brother comes and preaches the word. And at the end of that, there's typically a benediction from scripture. So the word is central in all that we do here. It has to be. In order to call this a worship service and to rightly worship the Lord, we have to be rightly informed from his word. This isn't just a fun book to read or a fantasy or just some historical book with no importance or relevance. This is God's Holy Spirit-inspired word to us. This is how we hear from him and learn of him, which helps us to rightly respond in worship to him. I was teaching a membership class uh, a couple weeks ago, and I gave everyone a forewarning. Week one is a lot of information. We're actually not going to talk about the history of CCF. We're not going to talk about how you can serve here. Here at CCF in week one, we're going to read through a ton of scripture together. And so for about an hour, we walk through the word and how it impacts all that we do here. If you go down to Kids Men right now, I'd put my next 10 paychecks on it, that the word of God is going to be taught and talked about and enjoyed and helping kiddos understand the beauty of God's word. It's instructive. If you visit on a Sunday night with the youth, be encouraged, parents. Pastor Nick Rogers and many of the workers, they faithfully preach the word of God week in and week out. Yes, they have a ton of fun, but the word is proclaimed and heralded. And that is how our minds are rightly informed and our hearts are then able to rightly respond and worship to God. But to take this a step further for us as individuals, when we leave, I would encourage you to think through what does this look like for me? Maybe even this next week. You don't have to have your earbuds in playing worship to worship him once you leave here. We are going to end and respond in song today, but don't let it end there. What's something that you just do throughout the week? Maybe even your job, maybe it's studies, maybe it's sports. I truly believe that we can turn those into acts of worship. We were just singing, great are you, Lord. Can we not do that at work? I don't mean that we're saying that every second of every minute of every hour during the workday, but could we not turn our work into acts of worship? 
Reminds me of Genesis 2, Adam being put into the garden. We typically think about the work that he's doing there and keeping the garden. But there's a lot of research and studies and sermons on the fact that Adam was put into that garden to do what? To worship God. He can worship God through that work, and so can we. I was encouraged last night. I got a text right before bed uh, from a brother here in the congregation and said, Hey, my family and I are about to read through Psalm 29, praying for you. You can have family worship in your own home without even playing music. And it doesn't necessarily mean that their Bible has to be open, although that's helpful because that then gives us an opportunity to respond to God's word. But there are, are many examples, and I'm not going to list out 50, but I would encourage you to think through what, what's something that I can do this next week that I've done so many times over and neglected to think I could turn it into an act of worship. I was mowing on Saturday, right? And, and I was recounting Psalm 29 to myself and a few strips, not, not the whole time I was mowing, but was just talking, Lord, you're awesome. You are powerful. You're holy. You're majestic. I love you. Thank you for your word. You are indeed great. Maybe that was 15 seconds, but I would consider that, although very different from singing together on a Sunday morning, a a short, simple act of worship. I hope that's helpful. And as we have emphasized there the importance of ascribing and worshiping, I want to, before we jump into the second section, say, hey, this was the call to those heavenly beings. Verses 1 and 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship him in the splendor of holiness. Verses 1 and 2 are the call, and now we'll enter into the second section, verses 3 through 9. A reason to respond to that call, and then the response to that call. Second section, the Lord is powerful. Worship him. I'm going to read through this, and as I do, I want you to think about the different ways that the voice of the Lord is described, and be thinking about his power being put on display. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And there's the reason to respond. And here is the response in 9C. And in his temple all cry glory. In response to what they've heard about the power, the perfect power of God, they can't help but to cry out in response, glory. So I would imagine that all of us at some point in time have been in a a storm, maybe some worse than others. I'm from North Carolina, so I can remember growing up as a little kiddo downstairs in the basement in the closet playing Monopoly with my family as a hurricane was coming through. And so I didn't want to spend too much time studying up on this. I wanted to focus more on the text, but I was like, this would be a great time for an illustration. And I didn't just get this from Wikipedia or WikiHow or whatever. I I looked up uh, something from NASA. And they were trying to compare the the energy of a hurricane from the beginning of its life to the end. And they said that the same amount of energy, if you you could collect it all, would be the same, not as one nuclear bomb, but (laughs) 10,000. Now, again, that would still pale in comparison to the power of the Lord. But just to mention, this is the Lord being described in this storm sweeping in from the Mediterranean, and it's it's about to to hit the area of Canaan, and his power is put on display. I think the psalmist, in addition to mentioning the power 
of the voice of the Lord seven times, he's speaking into things that, that those who hear this would recognize. Before we get there, I'll have a map in just a second we'll put up on the screen, but if you've been around the word much or, or sat through many sermons, you've probably heard when the number seven is used in the Bible, there's this idea of completeness or fullness, this perfect number, so to speak. And I would say that we could rightly say that his power is full and complete and perfect. But the, the psalmist, David here, is uh, speaking about this storm coming in. And we can go ahead and throw that map up there on the screen. And <clears throat> we won't spend much time here. This is just a little to, to get our minds wrapped around this one. When he's talking about the storm rolling through, uh, it, it says he makes the cedars of Lebanon break and Lebanon to skip like a calf. Kadesh to the north is mentioned. The wilderness of Kadesh is shaken. The, the forests are stripped bare. They would understand what the psalmist is talking about and, and hopefully respond in worship. We too can respond to the power of the Lord in simple things in nature. Waterfalls, rainbows, powerful storms. Yes, a point of application could for sure be to pull out Psalm 29 and read it as, as a powerful storm is currently unfolding here on earth. I don't think that that's the main application point there, but that, that could be something. What are the things that we see in our daily lives, whether it be in nature or, or just in our own personal lives, that could lead us to worship the Lord for his power? think that the list could be pretty long and maybe different for each one of us but the point here is not to just think about his power but to respond as it says in nine and everyone in the temple cries glory it's a reason to respond i have a few verses i wanted to put on the screen just to emphasize as as we talk about this particular section this isn't just about god being powerful over this storm in, in psalm 29 but every storm that ever has been whether it be in nature or the personal storm, so to speak, in our lives. He's, he's ruling and reigning. We're going to see that in just a moment. He's sovereignly ruling and reigning. We can't really separate that perfect power and his sovereign rule. They go so well together. But let me just read for you a, a couple verses. They'll be on the screen, uh, beginning with Psalm 147, 4 through 5. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. In Psalm 33, 8 through 9, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Remember those little G gods, mouths that can't speak and voices that don't utter a sound? God spoke the world into existence. He's powerful and it should lead us to respond. And then emphasizing us being able to see the attributes of God, even in nature. You're probably very familiar with Romans, 13, Romans uh, 1, 19 through 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So again, as a recap, if verses 1 are a call to these heavenly beings to ascribe and to worship the Lord, verses 3 through 9 are a reason for that call and the response to it, crying out glory. Let us remember that we too can praise the Lord for his powerful works, not only in nature, not only in storms, but in all that he is ruling and reigning over, which leads us to our third point. 
The Lord is sovereign. Worship him. Verses 10 and 11. Let's read these together. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. And then a request. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Three things I'd like to emphasize. First, he has and always will be, as I've mentioned today. He has and always will be sovereign and in control. I do think it's worth mentioning there in verse 10, it says the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. There's a few other versions that say he sat, past tense, enthroned over the flood. Whether this is or is not what the psalmist is doing, it causes us to think back to Genesis, or at least it does me, and think about the great flood of Noah. Now, you might say, okay, sure, some commentators would maybe say that he is referring, the psalmist is referring to the Genesis flood. Some might say he's not. Okay, let's just say he's not. Let's just take a quick look back in Genesis, specifically in Genesis 6 and Genesis 8. Who started that flood? Who ended it? Let me, let me read part of Genesis six seventeen to you. For behold, I, God, will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. And how did that flood end? Who was sovereignly ruling and reigning and allowed it to happen in the first place and the one that allowed it to end? Genesis 8, 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. So whether the psalmist is or is not referring to the flood in Genesis when he says that the Lord sits or sat enthroned over this flood, he was ruling and reigning all the way back then and even before then, since the beginning and all the way to the end. For all of eternity, God sits on his judgment throne with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And that's something that should lead us to worship and praise as well. Now, I said there were three things in this section that I, I wanted to emphasize. That was the first, that he always has and always will be ruling and reigning on his throne. Secondly, his sovereignty should lead us to hope and trust and to worship him. I may or may not have mentioned this before. I believe that I have, but one of my favorite attributes of God is his sovereignty. One of the reasons why is because here on earth, we too have storms. We have hardships, we have trials, and it's really helpful for me to be reminded in the midst of some of those hardships and trials or when others that I'm around are in the midst of hardships and trials that he is sovereign and ruling and reigning. You know, we think of those old war movies where guys have shields and you think, oh, you know, you want an impenetrable shield. Nothing makes it through. You know, I think if anything has gotten to me, it's not that the Lord had holes in his shield, <clears throat> It's that he sovereignly allowed those hardships into my life and can use them to sanctify me and direct my heart towards him and my dependence upon him and can lead me to worship even in the midst of trials, can teach me how to persevere in my faith and, and comfort others as I've been comforted by Christ. His sovereignty should lead us to hope and trust and worship. I've been so encouraged as I've kept up with the Peasleys, heartbroken but encouraged. Jonathan and Lena Peasley, as, as, Pastor, as Jeff was praying earlier, uh, for baby Sarah, who's been recently diagnosed with a tumor. It's been hard to read these updates. I know that their hearts are aching. But to see the encouragement of them sharing their faith and putting their hope and trust in Jesus, knowing that this is not out of his control and this was not something that popped up on his radar out of nowhere. 
You can read about the hope and the trust that they have in the midst of these trials. And that too should lead us to worship. The third thing I'd like to emphasize is that these verses, these verses should cause us to look forward to eternity. And, and I have some, some of a twofold meaning by that. For believers, it should cause us to look forward to worshiping around the throne forever with other brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who are gathered in here today who are children of God, we're going to worship around that throne one day for all of eternity. So we should look forward and get excited about that. We should also, maybe for some who are in here that don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, we should look forward to and consider and think about what the Bible says. And if what the Bible says to be true is true, one day we will stand before that judgment throne of God. And there will be one of two outcomes for those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and Him and Him alone. They'll be seen as holy by God, just like God sees his son Jesus sitting at his right hand, just like he sees him as holy. And apart from confessing that Jesus is Lord and not just Lord, but Lord of our lives and believing in our hearts that God's raised him from the dead, after he was crucified on that cross, he was buried, but he rose again and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We'll read a verse about that in just a moment. But for those that don't know Christ, they'll stand before that judgment throne one day. And I encourage you to look forward, not, not with excitement, if you don't know him as Lord, but consider if what the Bible says to be true is true. If you haven't been washed by the blood of Christ and repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you'll spend eternity not in heaven forever, but in hell separate from God forever. And I don't share that to try to manipulate you or play on your heartstrings or stiff arm you into making a decision, but I would encourage you to think about that if you're here today and don't know him as your Lord and Savior, that you would reach out to someone in small group or someone that you've met as you've been attending or myself after the service. Call us this week, shoot us an email, come by the church. We'd love to sit down and talk with you about that. It's the most important decision you'd ever make in your life. We do believe what the Bible says to be true. And that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as I read these verses, I can't help but think about eternity. I'd encourage you to write down Revelation 7, 9 through 12. If you want to go back and read those verses, I think they would be encouraging for those that are believers in Christ. Right now, I want to read Revelation 5, 6 through 14 to you, speaking about this throne. And it says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign 
on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Those who have trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior will one day bow down and worship the Lord for all of eternity. And I hope that is something that excites you as we look forward to that day. It's not just about worshiping him through song and with our lives here on earth, but that is going to be what we do for all of eternity in the days ahead. And as I mentioned, as we now come to a close, uh, we shared where we were heading. We've gone there. Now we're going to take a quick look back There'll be a a slide that pops up. This isn't everything that was covered, but five takeaways that I think would be helpful as we leave this place today. Be reminded that knowing more of who God is through his word should lead us to worship him rightly. Worship can and should be a whole life response. That we would rest and trust in his sovereign rule and reign over all things. Number four, that we look forward in in two different senses to the worship that will be taking place around the throne of God for all of eternity. And number five, in case you didn't catch this in Revelation 5 just a moment ago, don't just ascribe glory to the Lord. That's one of our, our applications today. We saw that in verses one and two. We're not to just ascribe glory to the Lord, but we are to declare it to the nations. And the part I have honestly been looking so forward to is to in just a moment respond to what we've heard today and worship the Lord and to prepare our hearts for that I'd like to read a very similar psalm psalm 96 and I believe that you'll hear in the song that we're going to sing and the psalm that I'm just about to read much of what we've talked about today how great God is how we are to respond to him and ascribe that worth and glory that is due his name. And we are to share that with others. So you can turn with me to Psalm 96. Matt and Jody will be heading up to lead us in our response. Listen to these words and get excited. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, lowercase g, gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Listen to the similarities that that we talked through in Psalm 29 here. 
Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness.